give us songs for the morning sun as it was pouring from your mouth. You gave us a lifetime of blessing, a long time of resting in your house. You give us all that Hello listeners, welcome to season two of Create in Me with Rebecca Craver and Brian Dixon. Thank you for tuning in. And we're glad you've joined us for this conversation about the connections between worship and everyday life. Hey, Create Me listeners, it's Brian Dixon and Rebecca Craver, and we're here to talk a little bit today with you about preaching. We actually thought we'd dive into that um, practice that is certainly a part of our um, vocation and talk about what does it mean to, to preach, do a little critique of our own preaching with one another and, and dig into uh, why do we preach the way we do and 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 what we think we could do differently, what kind of preachers inspire us and and you know who knows we'll just see where we get to um, but we're going to talk about what does it mean to preach the gospel Well, this is an interesting topic. You may remember that we had uh, brought in Amy Godis Lumen uh, for a little bit of conversation about what she saw the role of preaching being in worship. And it was really interesting to me just to kind of hear her say, you know, that preaching is kind of, is everything. It is, it is central. It is, it's what everything else in worship kind of points towards, builds up to. And yeah, I think I mentioned in that interview, like Amy is absolutely one of my favorite preachers. I love to hear Amy preach or to give talks, as she said, you know, to give talks on scripture. But I, I don't know that I could disagree with her more. Like to me, I think, and you and I have been out of seminary for um, for over a decade, mm-hmm. and I and I, I suspect that our, our approach to preaching has has evolved. Uh, I'm sure that we've taken in kind of different different points of view, uh, have had different experiences in 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 community, and and I think a pastoral looking into, I guess, the role of preaching in the worshiping life of the community. So not just what it is that maybe that you or I think we're, we're about in the pulpit, but, but what is the role of that moment, uh, that preaching moment where the word is opened up? Uh, we offer some teaching on it. I think there's a lot of models, right? There's a lot of, we're telling the story, we're, we're giving some exposition and explanation uh, that we bring some, you know, some, some additional insights, right? Maybe we've had a little more theological training. Maybe we have a little bit of background in the biblical languages, um, or we just have the vocation, the call to, we, we get to, we are actually asked to spend time in study in prayer and just very focused attention to, to the scripture and then uh, to the business of trying to bring meaning out of that or to make application or to invite, I don't know, to invite a community to really consider the implications, the challenges, joys uh, of living according to that. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if necessarily when I step into the pulpit, do I think of myself as more of a teacher? Um, I I think I carry into the pulpit a a, a very strong sense of pastoral responsibility. Like, like how is it that, that the words I say, the message I preach attends to the, the spiritual needs the growth, the development, the maturity, the exercise and practice of the Christian faith. 
you know, where is it that, that I see that I may offer a word of encouragement, a word of comfort, or a word of challenge, right, to a community in areas that, that maybe there's some need for growth, you know, or there's some need for uh, correction or, or just kind of clarity even. So I, I think that for me is, is a very strong, a very big lens that I take into the pulpit is, is, is a pastoral theology. You know, where is it that this meets the, uh, the lived experience of faith and the, and the challenges? And I wonder too, does it matter or does it depend on the kind of community we're serving or mm-hmm. the time in the congregational lifespan? Uh, because I think for me, uh, preaching is one of the things I love to do mm. and it's an important part of the worship service. I think I have been kind of witness to, to parishioners whose um, experience of preachers in general was that like preachers have the answers mm. and, and so they kind of have looked to me for, for those answers and, and I have, I am not comfortable being the holder of all the answers. That isn't what I believe about who we are in the, in the church. Like, I don't believe that because I am theologically trained that I know better than everyone who is not. I think that I bring some specific expertise to biblical exegesis, to preaching, to worship. But I certainly think that we are all in conversation with the text and it is important that we know the context so that our conversation sort of starts in the same place, but that there is so much wisdom to be had that, that I don't have alone. Um, and so I think about then what my preaching is like in the context of a community that we don't have a lot of other discipleship opportunities. So worship is sort of the, the thing we do. And so I find that, uh, because of that, my preaching has been much more teaching based and, and instructive in terms of the whole life of the congregation. So I think I used to think about and preach on maybe a lot more topics like outside of, outside of the congregation. And that's not to say I don't bring those in, but I might think about like a whole series on, um, what does it mean to be a Christian in your workplace? How do you, how do you do that? You know, like using teaching to, to be specific about a very, a very specific thing. And I think now I do a lot more preaching that I feel is expository and helps people to think about what's going on in our congregation. What are the decisions that are coming up for us? How can we um, kind of faithfully, enter into some really difficult decisions as a congregation and what does the text say to us about that and so it's it's still very specific but it's like the the only teaching time I have and so I I do a lot more teaching than maybe um I would in a congregation where that teach those teaching moments were happening in different ways um Mm. and so I wonder like in a church like yours Brian like is there an opportunity because there's a lot more programming um, for people mm-hmm. to be, you know, people are, are studying the Bible in Sunday school classes and in Bible studies and that kind of thing that are separate from the worship hour. And, yeah. and so does that change the, change the need of preaching or the experience of it? 
Yeah, that that's a really good question. Yeah, I, I wonder if because, you know, I do have the opportunity to participate in, to lead a Sunday school class. And I think, and, and there's other, you know, there's Sunday school, there's another adult class that meets. Um, that I, I, I wonder if that does free me up or give me a sense of being freed up to kind of, you know, I, I can really take worship in some different directions that I, I guess I don't feel that pressure that, okay, this is, this is the time, this is the spot that I get to do that. You know, there was a litany that we used just this past Sunday that our, our student pastor had written uh, based on the lectionary reading from first Corinthians. And, you know, it, it, it was largely verbatim first Corinthians, you know, it was the passage with kind of some responsive uh, it was developed out as a litany with some congregational response where, you know, where there, there was some creative writing done. And, but I just kind of let that stand as the reading. I was like, we, we, we really just read it. And so we prayed this litany, a litany of boasting, uh, you know, let the one who boasts boast in this kind of thing. And I, I just offered a homily, a, a preaching reflection on, on the scripture from there. And that, that felt fine to me to do. It didn't feel like we needed to have, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if that's because knowing that uh, there is a lot of other opportunities where the scripture is being read, is being discussed to, to, to feel a little more playful about it, to sing a hymn that is basically a, a transcription of some scripture and to let that be our reading for the day. So, so yeah, I, th I think I do feel quite a bit of liberty, quite a bit of, of room to play with, um, I guess, thinking about different avenues for the teaching to happen. I, I, maybe the analogy would be kind of, you know, being in a classroom where I was able to do a lot of experiential uh, learning, you know, and, and I trust that the curriculum can kind of be kind of worked at from a lot of different avenues, uh, sometimes creative, sometimes surprising. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting. Does that, does that kind of free me up? Again, just having a church where there is some space, there is some other programming that's happening to, to let worship have some room to do some other, some other work or to do that same work in some different ways. That's, I'm not sure. I got, I got to really think on that. Yeah. Well, I, if I think about preachers that I really appreciate, I really do appreciate uh, people who tell a good story. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I love Michael Curry, um, who's the um, Episcopal Bishop. Um, and, and he, his preaching style is, I mean, he tells a story and I mean, I remember hearing him one time and he, he was telling this great story, but like I, we would get to the point where I'd be like, wait, what's the point of the story? And, mm. and almost exactly, it was so interesting. And this is the skill of his preaching, right? Like he knew that he was losing us. And so he says, mm. just hang on with me. I know we're going to get there. Right. And he did it a couple of <laughs> times because it was a kind of a long drawn out story. But then when he got to the end, the point was made. I mean, it just, you know, it was like a gymnast just sticking the landing. Mm. It was so mm. good. And I think um, part of what I loved about that is that, like his preaching style and even having this story that you have to kind of keep reminding people to like lean in 
helped me because I leaned in. Like, and I really wanted to know, and I was really listening and really paying attention. And I've had, you know, like, I love that style of like really drawing, drawing people in and being drawn in um, by a fantastic story. Because it feels almost like you get so drawn in that then it's sort of like you're captive to the point, to what, to what is really, what is being said in the gospel. And, and so I love, I love to see that. I have seen some phenomenal preachers. um, And I think where I like compare myself to them is that there are people who preach and they do such a great job of developing these very um, kind of elaborate illustrations and I feel like sometimes in my preaching that I, I just don't give myself time to develop those elaborate illustrations to really create a point. And that, so sometimes I feel like I'm sort of like, and this isn't to put down any country preachers, but just sort of a country preacher. Like I just talk about normal things that I know that I experience. And so they're not like these beautiful illustrations that are, you know, researched and developed, but I do think that they do, they do make the connection And I think that's the test to me of a good preaching moment is are there people who have made connection to that, um, to the scripture and to their lives? Because that's, that's really what I think preaching is about is like, where are we making these connections? Um, And if you can, you know, make a connection that somebody wasn't making, helping, helping them to do that, that I think that that's, that's a successful preaching moment but I think it fits in with everything else. Like, I think that there are some traditions in some churches that the preaching moment is the moment. Yeah. Like if you had to cut out everything, um, but one thing in worship, you keep the preaching moment. That's not where I am with it. Now I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to cut the preaching moment, but I think sometimes music has, has a power that, that I wouldn't want to cut out that I think that, you know, like I, I and I kind of feel like maybe it depends on the day that sometimes the music is the most important. Sometimes the sermon is the most important. Mm-hmm. And so then I guess for me, then it falls back to the community is the thing that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're hearing these, these different things week after week after week. And in that time, those things all build into greater understanding of faith and discipleship. Yeah, I think whatever in worship kind of serves that that connective tissue, the relational piece. And and I know I just everybody learns best or feels most connected to somebody standing and preaching or speeching or lecturing. I mean, however you mm. however one experiences it, you know. And I think the the musical connection you mentioned um you know i mean we're, we're in a, a long-standing denominational tradition right the moravian church has this kind of liturgical form called the zingsten the, the idea of an hour of singing where there isn't preaching but the, the the message is developed through you know very careful very intentional selection of hymn stanzas and attention is given you know, to the music, to the feeling of it, to the, and to the message of the words. And then you're literally putting the message for the day, you know, on the lips of the community, you know, Mm -hmm. coming from, you know, out of uh, the mouths of the community together. And I don't know if it's just that that maybe takes a little bit of uh, explanation, 
you know, because I, I know sometimes when you plan a Zingstunde in the congregation, the response sometimes is, oh, good, we're having a hymn sing. And you're like, no, this, this, it's not a hymn sing. Like, it's not, it, it's not just kind of the, you know, the worship jukebox type of thing, that there is as much care, as much thoughtfulness and intention that goes into picking the hymns. But I mean, that, that to me is a thing where if you, if you, if you have a community that, that is somewhat accustomed to that, or you can do some teaching around the liturgy and, and say, there isn't going to be a sermon preached today, but there's going to be a message that, that we're going to sing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, that's, but, and even, even in people who, um, some of the preachers that really, and sermons that I've heard that have jumped out, um, having been a couple times now to, uh, you know, Festival of Homiletics event and having heard um, Otis Moss preach and Anna Carter Florence and Barbara Brown Taylor, there is something for me to the musicality of, of a sermon too, like the, the choice of words and, and, and the, the, the way the words kind of, I don't know, just the beauty, the poetics uh, of, of preaching. Um, and I don't know if that's just, just with some of the creative writing that I do too, that there, there's a way that words kind of work on me, you know, when there are poetic conventions or, or just things that I kind of hear, it, it, it does kind of, it just grabs my ear and, I, and, and helps me, I guess, to know when there is something really being emphasized or when there really is, you know, a connection being made with a previous point or that a, a musicality sometimes. And I know, that, I don't know if this is just purely an aesthetic consideration. I, I don't think so. Cause I don't think it's just a style. Oh, I appreciate preaching in a certain style. Um, for me, there's a way it works because of, of a musicality to it. Like I said, that helps me to understand because it's like in a movie when you're watching a movie and, and a scene uh, is underscored, you know that that's a, that's a significant scene, right? There's something, there's some emotional content. There's some, there's something you need to be paying attention to. And I think some preachers do have a way. I think you can kind of go over into kind of theatrics and which I find maybe off-putting, but I don't know. There, there is, there, there's what we say. And I think there's also how we say it. Um, when you look at the Hebrew scriptures and the poetics of, of the Hebrew language and things like parallelism and um, just certain kinds of form structures and then departures from that or, yeah, that, that's all just, I don't know, that, that might be a thing too, where I'm like, that's just super interesting to me, but again, may not be as critical or essential. You know, again, I think it's different learning styles, different kind of paths um, that the word takes to our hearts. Um, you know, we, we did try out a little bit of liturgical dance uh, since we had interviewed um, Kira Tessman about movement and, and physicality in worship. And that was very exciting. I was really happy to have had a couple of people in the congregation with some skill, with experience and a desire to do that. And, and that there were members who responded and there, you know, and that really was the message. There was very little reflection or teeing it up or framing it afterwards that I offered. And, and there were people for whom that was deeply moving. And I suspect there may have been others for whom it was like, meh, you know, that was different. That was interesting. 
And I don't know, I think too, in worship to be able to offer a variety of approaches to the message, to the word too. Like, I think if there was just one way that I liked to preach, you know, whether that is as a witnessing preacher or a narrative preacher, I would think it important to mix it up and, and to do whatever I could, whether that was to in, invite other voices, um, to emphasize other aspects of the liturgy, rather than just to kind of regularly default to what I understood my strengths to be in terms of conveying the gospel. Because that may not be the, the way best that, that everybody in the congregation that I'm serving is, is hearing it or experiencing it. And that kind of goes back to my default position like pastorly, what is it that the best thing to do is, and whether that's identifying my strengths and working from them, you know, working to develop them and, and grow them, or two, to even work into worship, work from areas where I don't feel particularly strong, but I recognize some giftedness or ability or opportunity within the congregation to kind of maybe share, to share that leadership, to share that worship involvement a little more. Certainly. I think that that's a good practice pastorally to make sure that you're including, that we are including voices um, more than our own, because I think that that says a lot about what we believe about the preaching moment, that the preaching Mm. moment is not about um, the perfect sermon, but it is about, it is about the, the witness. It is about, people telling their stories um, and sharing that in community. Because as I was thinking about the Festival of Homiletics, um, for example, I have heard some amazing sermons there. I mean, and, you know, like, and I'm such a nerd about it, you know, like my husband at the time worked at the hospital. And so I was going to be away for the weekend. And they were like, so where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm going to the Festival of Homiletics. And and they were like, so what are you going to do there? And I was like, I'm just going to hear a bunch of people preach sermons and you could just see their faces like <laughs> what who spends their time doing that and I was like over the moon excited about being able to be there and I think that part of what I look at is that those people they preach phenomenal sermons and I know that a lot of them do have regular um, preaching spaces and so mm-hmm. I would love to know like what is it like to see them preach regularly and how is that different than the context of mm. Festival of Homiletics when you've got people who want like a really good sermon who have some, because a lot of us are pastors. And so we have some background in the exegetical work in the context. And so you can go in a different direction maybe than you could yeah. with a congregation that doesn't have that same background. Um, and so I think that there is also some part of me that just says, you know, like you each preacher does what they can do. Um, and so we mm-hmm. all have different strengths around um, preaching moments. Like I've talked to colleagues who are like, well, preaching is really like, it's a thing that I do, but it is not the thing that I, that I am most excited about or that, you know, kind of takes the most energy in the week. Um, and then for somebody like me, like preaching is one of the things that I love to do. And so mm-hmm. I, I enjoy preparing for that. But I would say that, like, there are probably a lot of people who prepare a lot longer than I do um, mm-hmm. for the preaching moment. And and that's that's a discipline of myself to, like, make sure that I am doing enough um, 
to prepare. But I also like, I have noticed, so I don't, I don't write out a manuscript when I preach um, because my presentation suffers. If I have a manuscript, mm-hmm. I want those specific words to be the words that I say because I've spent all this time yeah. picking the right words. Cause I think I totally agree. Like there's a musicality to the sermons um, that I most enjoy. And I think that that's mm-hmm. so important. And so I do it a little differently, but I still think I get some of that in there. Um, and I have, there mm-hmm. are other preachers that I know that are phenomenal manuscript preachers and they do that. They use, they really spend their time crafting these words and they present them well. Um, but I just can't do it. If I have that piece of paper, I stumble over it and it just doesn't work very well for me. And so I kind of give up a little bit of that finesse for presentation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's, there's a piece of that too in preaching, that the preaching moment really is a presentation and that it doesn't need to be perfect, but I do think there needs to be a level of comfort um, of the preacher in the preaching moment or it's distracting to me. So I've seen people mm. that were preaching and I knew that they had, you know, the background, the context and all that together, but their presentation was anxious. Mm. And I just thought, Oh man, the, like it makes me nervous to watch you preach this way because you don't seem to feel good about what you're saying because your anxiety about doing it right, I think is getting in the way of what you're trying to say. And so I don't hear what you're saying. All I see is this anxiety up there and I just feel bad, you know, yeah. that you're up there and, and I'm with you and, and not being able to wait until you can come down from there. You know, like, and so I think that there's, there's something about preaching that is not just the content, but the presentation has a lot to do with what people can hear from us, you know, mm-hmm. because if the presentation is, is not, if we're not able to get it presented well, then people don't hear it. And so then is the preaching moment of value in that way? Um, yeah. Or is there something, something else? Cause it, it just makes me think like, I think that there's so many ways that people preach and they preach well, but like for me to do this style might not actually ever communicate well because I'm not comfortable there Yeah. or vice versa. But I do think it's a good discipline for preachers to to test our boundaries once in a while, because I think sometimes we can do things, but we just convince ourselves that like, that's not my thing. So I can't do that well. And then we never yeah. try it again, you know? And, and I think you can go the other way too, right? Like be overconfident or over, oh, for sure. Tech, over, over technical. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, um, yeah, it isn't that that person was anxious or awkward. It was like, that was just, again, overly dramatic or unnecessarily calling attention to the delivery, that's, that's equally distracting. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. Um, and so, so maybe that there is something to that, just the, what is, where is it that you are speaking from an authentic mm-hmm. place? And that's going to be different, you know, for each preacher, for everyone taking the pulpit. It's, you know, are you speaking to us from, from what you have come to know, to see, to taste, to understand of, of the word of, of God's goodness, you know, that that's, I don't know, you know, and and I think it's okay too, to speak from an authentic sense of question and doubt and struggle. You know, I, I, I've seen very authentic, very vulnerable preaching done 
where it wasn't, as you said earlier, it wasn't that, oh, I'm the resident answer person. It's, but, but, you know, in the preaching too, there can be a way that we model for the worshiper, a sense of how to authentically wrestle with the text, how to, to be honest, to, to have a sense of integrity intellectually, spiritually, you know, that this, this, I do believe this word to really be the word of the Lord. And, and, but what does that mean? You know, how is it that the word is the word and what is it that it's saying to us? What is it that it's calling? How is it that it's calling to us to respond? You know, cause I think there's that too, right? That the word never really just wants us to know it, right? It's be to do it, <laughs> go and do thou likewise. Uh, to not just hear it, to hear it well preached, you know, to hear it effectively conveyed, but to to preach in such a way that the word can do what the word does. And that is to change, to transform, to renew our hearts, our minds, you know, that literally we we can walk out of there on a Sunday morning or a Saturday evening, whenever it is that you worship, a little something more of a new creation, because you've had some kind of encounter with the living word like that. That's my hope, right? I think that's our hope with any preaching moment that that actually can happen, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that that's a thing that I think energizes that excites that kind of gives some, some persistence. Cause I think preaching was the one thing I was probably the most anxious about going into ministry. Like really you have to, you have to do a presentation every week. You know, you have to give a talk. You have to write a paper. You have to come up with something to say, some kind of response, some kind of interaction, engagement with, with the scripture. Like how long can you, how do you, how do you do that for like 40 years? You know, when I, when I, a good friend, pastor of mine, when I first came into the church, retired after, I don't know, like 45 years of ministry. I'm like, how do you, that's 52 Sundays a year, that's hundreds, hundreds of, of sermons. How do you do that? And I, I think, like you said, there, I found too a joy. Like it is one of the things that I, st I still find myself nervous about a little bit, but I'm also like, you know, just let me say something good today. And I don't mean, let me say it well, let me be effective. Let me, but you know, I, I to really truly believe that the word has this kind of life-changing, life-giving power. And then whether it's because of us or in spite of us, you know, that that would be somehow communicated, not even just through the sermon, although that's, that's what we're talking about, but, but through the offertory, you know, through the children's message, through the, the prayer of dedication, when the offer, you know, whatever. I mean, any, any moment was an adjunct professor of preaching when I was at Moravian Seminary, and, and she would talk about these windows to the holy, mm. you know, and what, what was the moment in the order of worship in the liturgy and the time spent where a window was opened. And I never labored too hard under the delusion that that was going to be me. <laughs> like I was the one to open the window when I started preaching, like that window could have been opened <laughs> during the prelude. And, and that might've been it. That might've been the thing that people were like, that's, that was what I needed today. Yeah, and, and to approach it with some humility, too. I mean, because I definitely have preached those sermons that I thought, you know, I just crushed and 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 we're kind of met with a little bit of a, yeah, boy, that, you know, the postlude was beautiful. <laughs> and then those sermons where I just thought that was a hot mess. I really had no idea what I was trying to say. 
and have somebody just kind of, you know, kind of beat their breast and say, man, that you were, you were preaching to me today. So there's a mystery to it. And that's, that's, that keeps you kind of on the edge of like, I'm not really sure what this is about. Like I do the best I can with it, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a mystery and a wonder and seems to be more about something that God shows up and does than about something that we plan and prepare all week to make happen. You know, I do. And I think that that's, what's so nice about, um, the regularity of worship. <laughs> it works every preacher I know we have a, a bit of a rhythm and what, and what we do and how we do it. And so every week may be a little different, but it's, it's the same in some of the practices that we, that we have and how we prepare um, for our sermons. And, and I think that to me by itself, just the rhythm is one of the beautiful things about sermons because they do um, in the same way that like a devotional life um helps, helps us to sort of be present to God and, and be aware of where God is at at work in us and in our lives. And it's because we set aside this time to pay attention to it because it's so easy to get busy and to not do that. And I think that that's where those sermons come from. You know, those 52 sermons a year come not just from, you know, like creating from scratch these things, which I don't actually believe that I do that. You know, that I don't think it's from scratch. I think that there are all kinds of things that the words I may say build on things that are already happening in the lives of the people where God is at work. And and I think that's sometimes whenever somebody says, oh, man, that just hit me right there. And I'm just like, did I say that? How did that? Yeah. And and I think that that's where that's where God that's where the mystery is, is that all of these things come together to create something larger than each individual thing, um, you know, would create. And my, my one goal with preaching is at the end of the sermon, I want, so what, you know, like the scripture says Mm. this, so what, like, what does it mean for my life, for your life, for our life together? Um, And not that that is always the easiest thing to figure out. Not that that's always the answer, but I want to feel like, that no one can say, well, we just wasted our time having somebody talk around um, a scriptural story. Although sometimes the, so what is, you know what? I think we just need to talk around this story. I think we just need to, you know, open it up and, and air it out and see what, what comes up for us. Because the, the truth is, is that the story does not need my, my sermonizing to have mm-hmm. meaning and value. Yeah. Right. And, and that my sermon can help, can, can add a layer or maybe make connections um, between the text and the hearer. But it does strike me that, you know, we, we do in the church in general, in the Protestant church, I'd say we put a lot of emphasis on the sermon mm-hmm. and and I think that, I mean, and I'm, I'm hearing it from you and I know it's true for me that I actually think that the worship moments all together are what is valuable to me. Mm-hmm. That without the sermon, I would miss sermons. I like sermons a lot, but they're not the only way that we communicate the mystery of God. 
and that it's important, you know, in terms of learning styles that people have all these other different ways to connect to this larger story. And, you know, the sermon does become central in a way, because like, if I think about what I'm going to preach on, what text I'm going to use, um, if I think about specific ideas that I have for the sermon, and then I pick hymns according to those specific ideas, and we have, you know, different interactive prayers, maybe they all work together um, to bring about this whole story, you know? So like, it's not, it's not one thing, but they're all, they're all pieces of a whole. It's too easy for me to, if I were to believe that the sermon was the only thing that mattered to just not put any effort into creating space for people to listen in the silence for God or to, to have room to, to say, okay, well, that sermon was interesting, but what really caught me was this word in this hymn or this phrase that just stuck in my head and connected with what I was dealing with. I mean, it's difficult because I think sermons are so important, but I also just don't want to say that they are the most important thing in worship because I don't believe that. Um, so it's, it's hard to know like how, when push comes to shove, where would it fall in a line of priorities? I'm just not sure I'm ready to say it out loud or if I even know what I'd, what I'd think about that. I, w- I would be interested to, to hear from our listeners about maybe worship communities, faith communities where the preaching moment and, and maybe the liturgy itself it has been structured differently. Cause I, I think our order of worship typically does tend to kind of, you know, place the preaching moment at a certain point. And maybe it's, you know, before the offering, it's after the offering. It's, um, I'd be, I'd be interested just to hear uh, from you, our listeners. I'm like, you know, does anybody like call to worship and then boom, there's the sermon and the rest of the service ends up being some kind of response or opportunity to engage and interact with the ideas that are presented or just, or just even, even something I don't know that I can't even necessarily imagine at this point. I, I'm really curious as to what kind of space our, our other faith communities find for that, to, whether it's a dialogical sermon, uh, more of a roundtable kind of approach, um, you know, kind of that preaching and teaching and, and discussion in the round, uh, table fellowship and practices around the sacraments, um, letting the sacraments preach. Um, I don't know, things like Zingstun or Love Feast in the Moravian tradition. I'm, I'm curious as to what other, what other traditions, forms, and expressions uh, have been created or discovered around this idea of trying to hear the word, I don't know, trying to take it in, trying to, to embody it or, or internalize that it. That is a really cool thought. I had, don't know if I've ever been to a service where the sermon is first. Like there's mm-hmm. almost always things ahead of time I almost want to try it for six weeks or something and just see like what's this feel like to do the sermon right off the bat uh you know for me it would certainly be a discipline like I mean like I'd have to kind of prepare myself to be ready for that moment then without all the other prayer and music to sort of set it up I would love to hear from our listeners about that so call in to anchor, leave us a message, tell us what you think. Uh, maybe we'll uh, produce a little, a little extra episode. That's just your thoughts about 
preaching and worship and, and where, where you think it is most important, what kind of preaching you prefer, um, why you enjoy preaching the way you do. I'd be, I'd really love to hear. It's been a great conversation creating me listeners. We hope you've enjoyed it and we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Create and Me Worship and on Facebook at Create and Me. If you have questions, thoughts, or ideas you'd like to share with us, email us at moraviancreateandme at gmail.com. A special thanks to David Melby Gibbons, Rachel Marie, and John Robinson for our theme music. Check them out at Dust of the Saints on Facebook and rachelmarie.com. As always, keep on creating.